Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Neon, the podcast that talks about the history behind pop culture. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and on this podcast, we'll be talking about the TV series Vikings, and therefore, you're going to have to expect quite a lot of conversation about Vikings. Actually, I'm going to stop with that particular voice. That's going to clearly work on my throat a little bit. But anyway, yes, there'll be Vikings, there'll be shield maidens, there's going to be dragons, people, and also a French king called Charles the Fat. You've been here for three and a half hours. How many different ways do you want me to tell the same story? Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot? As your leader, I encourage you from time to time, always in a respectful manner, to question my logic. Now to run a computer check on this tape and the professor. Dodge this. The tracks go off in this direction. The TV series, The Vikings, or just Vikings, uh, started in 2013, and I watched it from the very beginning. It was the first live-action drama series to be produced by the History Channel. Now, the History Channel, I think most historians have a love-hate relationship with largely a hate relationship. When it was first announced, I'm going to guess back in the 1990s, the idea was that we would have a dedicated channel pumping out quality documentaries one after another to talk about all areas and aspects of history. Now, that in its own right is very worthy, but it's fundamentally flawed. And what 
the History Channel realised quite quickly was, yes, uh, there's no reason why you shouldn't perhaps be talking about 17th century agrarian policy in the colonies of America, but nobody's going to watch that. So very quickly, it became a series of documentaries talking about some of the high points of historical interest. That would be ancient Egypt, Rome, World War II, and quite a lot of stuff about sharks as well. But anyway, not strictly speaking history. I guess it's natural history, maybe. From there, they obviously had limitations of budget. And what they started to do in terms of own personal productions tended to be an awful lot of fly-on-the-wall documentary stuff, like Ice Truckers, which doesn't really have a lot to do with history. And uh, there's obviously an ongoing, uh, I'm going to give this no coverage whatsoever, but a TV series trying to link various ancient things to do with aliens. I'll give you a clue. None of this stuff has actually got to do with aliens, but it makes an interesting TV show and it's quite sensationalist. So when History Channel said that they were going to start producing an actual drama and they picked Vikings, and just by using the name Vikings means that, of course, they're not particularly tied down to any one character. I was really, really interested, and the trailers looked high quality, high production values, and so I sat down and thoroughly enjoyed the the first series. Indeed, in the first series, you get a couple of uh, uh, titles. The year is 793. And as soon as I saw that flash up, I thought, oh, I know where this is going. And what they show in the first couple of episodes is relatively historically accurate. The idea that the Vikings were all these six foot two, 200 pound Scandinavian bodybuilders who spent all their time arm wrestling and having drunken fights and then they just jump onto a long ship and sail on their way for a good bit of pillaging in Britain or France. That's not a thing. That isn't really what happens. And what I find interesting is when you look at the archaeology and history around the Viking era, there's an awful lot of really weird and wonderful stuff out there. First of all, it's worth mentioning that Viking means basically wanderer in Old Norse. So the people in Scandinavia weren't Vikings. The people who got on boats and decided to go out and explore the world, they were Vikings. But they themselves would not have identified themselves as a community or society as a Viking community. And the fact of the matter is that Norway and Sweden are beautiful. They are amazing places, if rather expensive places, to go on holiday. You can see the northern lights. You can see fjords. They are wonderfully hospitable people. The nicest people I've met in Europe as a whole are the Danes, who are obviously another part of Scandinavia. But here's the thing. Whereas they might now lead the world in flat pack furniture and very reliable cars... The reality is in the pre-industrial world, Scandinavia was pretty dirt poor. You need agriculture. And if you just look at what the uh, environment is like in places like Norway and Sweden, there isn't a lot of arable land. Very quickly, you're reduced to fishing. 
having a very brief period of agricultural production in the very far south of the country, and I guess reindeer herding, but you're running out of things to eat and trade with. So the fact of the matter is, one of the reasons why the Viking Age happened, and this is what a lot of archaeologists have sort of come to the conclusion with, was there seems to have been uh, a bit of a burst of population in Scandinavia, and there simply wasn't enough land and resource to go around. The Vikings were basically desperate men who needed to find richer areas to generate some income to either buy food or get food. They would not have all been strapping six-footers who were well-fed with lots and lots of muscle mass. Uh, they probably would have been quite wiry. Although blonde is a fair analogy. So going back to the slightly desperate situation we see Ragnar and Rollo uh, at the beginning of Vikings is pretty accurate. And there's this big discussion about how it's easy to sail east and there seems to be slim pickings in the eastern area of the Baltic Sea. And they need to find a way to go west because they hear of these rich lands to the east in what we would now call England. Although it is worth mentioning that during the Viking era, there was no country of England. It was separate, different Anglo-Saxon nations, such as Northumbria in the north, East Anglia in the east, Wessex all along the south, and the middle part of modern-day England was called Mercia. And they do a good job in the TV show of showing these separate warring nations. There was no love lost between many of these nations. However, the fact that they mention 793 is quite clever because that, we know, is the first time we get a major Viking raid in England. And we get this from the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. Now, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle is a marvellous piece of early medieval literature. It was created in the court of Alfred the Great, so it was actually a couple of generations after the events of 793 that the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle began, and they tried to backfill quite furiously. So what it means is the further back in time, and it starts basically round about the time of Jesus, but there are huge gaps, sometimes nearly centuries of gaps, and indeed some of the very earliest entries are just one line. Apparently only one thing happened in the whole of the world in that particular year, and it shows that there, there's a real sparseness of knowledge of what exactly was going on in the world. But the closer you get to round about uh, sort of 8, 890 AD, the more is filled in. And after you get past the time of Alfred the Great, it's contemporary and it does a very good job of filling in blanks. And it actually continues past the Norman conquest into the, the reign of King Stephen. So we're now into the early 1100s. So it's a really valuable resource for medieval English historians and chroniclers to, to find out what exactly was going on, and also get that view. And if I may, I'm going to read, you'll be pleased to hear it. It is written in Old English, in, in Anglo-Saxon, and I can't read that, but I have a translated copy of the events of 793. What's interesting is you only get one paragraph, and it's a good paragraph, trust me on this. This year came dreadful forewarnings over the land of the Northumbrians, terrifying the people most woefully. There were immense sheets of light rushing through the air, and whirlwinds, and fiery dragons flying across the firmament. 
These tremendous tokens were soon followed by a great famine, and not long after, on the sixth day before the Ides of January in the same year, the harrowing inroads of heathen men made lamentable havoc in the Church of God in Holy Island by rapine and slaughter. There you go. That's the first Anglo-Saxon chronicle quote about the Vikings. By the way, there is one last sentence on the year AD 73, which simply says, Sigurd died on the eighth day before the calends of March. Unlucky Sigurd. Don't know any more about that. But anyway, the point is there is you get an image of apocalypse. You've got uh, sheets of light rushing through the air and whirlwinds and fiery dragons flying across the firmament. And also there's a, a famine, a great famine going on as well. That's all pretty impressive. That gives you an idea of complete doom and gloom, shock and awe, the terror that the Vikings genuinely would have created. And that holy island that they refer to is actually Lindisfarne. We know that for a fact. And that was the first place the Vikings uh, attacked with any kind of gusto. There seems to have been possibly the odd little raid or at least scouting party of Vikings before 793. But 793 is basically when historians start the Viking Age in England. And you've got to look at it from the point of view of the Vikings. They turn up, they're fairly desperate, they, they have no idea what they're going to be expecting. They land on this island and in it is a whole bunch of men who refuse to fight them they, they, the Vikings have got no idea what a monk is, but they're all men, no women. They steal all their, their gold and silver. There would have been all these gold crosses to commemorate mass and things like that. There would have been communal wine, which was good quality wine. And for the Vikings, excellent booze. And then with these monks, um, well, it says rapine and slaughter. So they were either killed or... <clears throat> they got to know the monks a, a way the monks didn't really want to get known, uh, he said euphemistically. And after that, uh, it's likely that some of those monks would have been carted away as slaves. Uh, indeed, a literate slave would have got, got a high price back in Scandinavia. So very, very bad news for the monks of Lindisfarne. And indeed, the Vikings quite often went after religious sites. And why not? There was good booty to be had there. They didn't understand Christianity and they were highly unlikely to be attacked. They were soft, perfect targets if you're a Viking pagan warrior. So that, if you like, is the beginning of the Viking Age. And you see that in the first series of Vikings. The problem I have, and, and I think it is worth mentioning on these podcasts, of course I'm going to pick lots of topics that I have a love for, maybe even a guilty pleasure, something like the A-Team, for example, a bit of rose-tinted glasses going on there. But not everything I'm going to be covering I love, because what clearly happened with the Viking TV show is when it became a hit... History Channel, which, is, as I've already said, had no qualms about moving away from history, started morphing this show that originally did have some kind of historical merit and moved it into basically their version of Game of Thrones, very loosely throwing together some real events from history, but <clears throat> linking it all together with these Vikings that 
well, you'll, as you'll see in a bit, had no reason to be in certain situations. The key character in the first few series is Ragnar Lothbrok. Now, Ragnar seems to be, to Vikings, a little bit what... Uh, what King Arthur is to the English, as it were. He seems to be a bit of a starting point, far more legendary than historical. And the interesting thing is that Ragnar seems to have been written into these sagas. And fast-forwarding a few generations, in the year 865, up from 793 to 865, the Vikings kept turning up in Britain. And, and to be fair, it wasn't just England. They also attacked Scotland. They also attacked Ireland. They also attacked northern France as well. Uh, they, they went up the Danube. So they were sort of spreading out all over the place, but they were all very much hit-and-run raids. But in 865, the Michael Herre, as the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle calls it, the Great army arrives. This is a massive force of Vikings, and unlike the previous raiding parties, this was an army of conquest. They had come to take over the lands of Britain. And let's not get too far involved in that. It, they seem to have come out of nowhere, and uh, they were led by people who are now sort of stuck in history. One of the greatest names in history was one of the leaders of the Mikkel Heri, Ivar the Boneless. Now, Ivar is in the, I think it's the third series, as a little boy. And Ivar the Boneless has led to many debates as to what does boneless mean? Some people, and the Viking series sort of lean on this, claim that he might have had something like a brittle bone disease. He might have had some kind of birth defects or deformities. I'm very much of the opinion that that's highly unlikely. In the fairly harsh conditions of Scandinavia, growing up with birth defects was unlikely. Uh, there were some Viking tribes, I'm using euphemisms here, Scandinavian groups, who would actually cast sickly children out into the into the forest. Now, if they weren't eaten by wolves, they were accepted back again, but we I think we can safely assume that they were largely died overnight in the harsh environs of Scandinavia. Now, we just don't know about Ivar, but the, the, the way that people are trying to definitively put an illness, uh, a bone disease on Ivar is not fair, because there's another... I would say more reasonable explanation of Ivar the Boneless, that he could well have been a berserker. What's a berserker? Well, it's where we get the word berserk from. We do have some Scandinavian words in our language. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And there are a number of examples of berserkers in battle. There's one, for example, at the Battle of Stamford Bridge in 1066, where this man covered in animal fur furs held off an entire Anglo-Saxon army on a bridge for what sounds like hours. Just so furious, so angry, so terrifying that men were worried about getting near him and he slew many men. And exactly what the berserkers were doing is a little unknown. Maybe they'd taken some kind of drug. Maybe they were drunk. Maybe they were epileptic. But uh, they seem to have worked themselves up into such an incredible fury that they were an absolutely terrifying sight to behold on the battlefield. And that fits Ivar a lot more than a, a deeply sort of damaged, vulnerable man who somehow got to be leading an army. So, anyway, lots to unpack here. Already mentioned the dragons, already mentioned Ivar the Boneless, but getting back to uh, Ragnar, Ragnar Lothbrok. So, in the TV series, he's kicking around in the 790s, but in the Viking sagas, allegedly the reason why this great Viking army turned up in 865 is because uh, Ivar and the other leaders of this Viking army were out for revenge because they were the sons of Ragnar Lothbrok and Ragnar, I guess spoilers here, if you haven't seen all the Vikings, um, Ragnar had attacked Northumbria, which was ruled by King Ella, and King Ella had captured Ragnar and thrown him into a pit full of snakes, and he was sort of killed by all the snakes. Now, this is in a Viking saga. More on those in a minute. The problem with this is there wasn't a King Ella in Northumbria in the 860s, so that seems to be made up. There's also no evidence of a... It would have been likely to have been chronicled had a Viking leader been captured and killed. Nothing in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. Also, of all the ways to kill people, putting them in a pit full of snakes is not an Anglo-Saxon way to kill people. Much easier to, say, chop your head off. And also... British snakes, uh, you would, it would take a long time to die being bitten by uh, British snakes. You know, this happening in India or, or Africa makes a lot more sense, makes no sense whatsoever in England. It seems to just be a bit of a legend. But there's no harm in using some sort of legendary people because all the dialogue in Vikings, even if it is trying to be 
historically accurate is going to be made up. So why not have somebody who's kind of famous? Why not use some of the Viking sagas to get the flavor of Scandinavian culture? I have no problem with that whatsoever. But as I've already said, they've completely messed up all the dates. Ragnar shouldn't be around in 793, but he is. What's worse still is uh, Ragnar's best mate is a guy called Rollo. And when I heard about Rollo, I thought, ooh, you know, it seems to be the wrong era, but I know what happens to a very famous Rollo. But it turns out I was right, because in series three of the Vikings, it became very apparent to me that you have just thrown out all the history, basically. You're just not quite making it up, because in series three, to be fair, there were a number of Viking raids on Paris. There are several sieges of Paris, but clearly the siege of Paris that's happening in the third series of the Vikings is the siege of Paris that happened in 885 to 886 AD. So meaning that Ragnar and his crew are the best looking centenarians out there. They're over a hundred years old. This makes no sense whatsoever. And by now I was uh, losing my patience a little bit with the TV series because the series itself is called Vikings and they'd already introduced some of Ragnar's kids. So it's like, look, Travis Fimmel, who is the actor who plays Ragnar, you know, look, he was great, but why not just move on? Why not keep the historical context and teach the whole entire Viking age? You you know, you've got centuries of it, but you keep bringing in new new characters, new new generations. Surely that's cheaper. You don't have to keep rehiring people and giving them long contracts and stuff like that. But no, my series three, you've still got the same Vikings kicking around and... We have now gone past the great invasion of England, which hasn't happened yet, by the way, in the, in, in the Viking series three. So that hasn't happened, even though it has happened in history. Now all these Vikings are at a siege they couldn't have all been at, except Rollo, the real historical Rollo, was at this siege. It's just he couldn't possibly have been the brother of Ragnar a hundred years earlier. Now, the reason why Rollo got me all excited is he was the Viking who basically he was brought to a standstill in northern France. He was unable to capture Paris and he was unable to sort of uh, basically n create the hammer blow against the French king. But because he was still a threat, the French king at the time, a man called Charles the Fat, and here's something, the guy who plays the king of France, he's fine, he's all right, but you know, it's not like they've picked a big name, he's not being played by George Clooney or anything like that, but why did they have to pick a particularly thin man? The guy's known to history as Charles the Fat, for heaven's sakes. So it seems by series three, Vikings is being almost willful in its sticking two fingers up at the rest of history. So I think you can tell I'm a little bit on my high horse on this one. Also, the Siege of Paris, it's, it's epic, it's fun. Look, it's good. Don't get me wrong. The Viking TV series is, is never a boring TV series. But if you want me to turn around and say there is historical accuracy in this siege, there isn't any. There is this regular fighting around this weird corridor where they have this big long rolling tube of spikes that it looks cool and amazing and just I don't recognize that from any part of history whatsoever 
But anyway, as you were, guys. So Rollo, because he was he was an effective fighter and raider, but ineffective at actually capturing cities, Charles the Fat turns around to him and says, look, why don't we get into alliance here? I'll give you the northern coast of France, okay? That can become your territory. You have to be loyal to me. You have to sw swear an oath of fealty to me. You, you, we're bringing you into French feudal society, but it's your territory. And you and your Northmen can all live there and act in a way as a barrier from any future Viking attacks. It wasn't the most insane idea. And actually, the Roman Empire had done similar things with effective invading forces towards the end of the Western Roman Empire. So it had precedent. It wasn't the worst plan. And so Rollo founded this semi-autonomous Viking fiefdom in northern France. And it was called... Normandy, the place of the Northmen, the place of the Vikings, basically. So Normandy was founded by a Viking called Rollo. And fast forward several centuries, yeah, William the Conqueror was a direct descendant of Rollo, sort of. Bear in mind, he certainly was not a pure blood Viking. You get some English people not liking the idea that England was conquered by the French, and they say, well, he was really a Viking. Okay, except Rollo married a French girl, and his son married a French girl, and French, 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 French. So by the time you get down to William the Conqueror, well, his first language was not Norse, it was Middle French, basically. He, he absolutely lived in a feudal lifestyle. He might have had some genetic link to the, the Vikings, but so did a lot of people in England at that time as well. So... Rollo, real guy, couldn't possibly have been Ragnar's uh, brother, and you do apparently see him found Normandy. I gave up at the end of series three of Vikings. I believe it's in series five now. And what I found interesting is series one, two, three were basically all 10 episodes, like Game of Thrones, keeping things tight. Series four and five are each 20 episodes long. And I found a little bit of the cut and thrust and backwards and forwards. And, and unlike Game of Thrones, they didn't have enough houses. They didn't have enough power bases to stop everybody scheming. And they didn't seem to want to kill people all that often either unlike Game of Thrones. And so the amount of times Rollo had betrayed or been betrayed by Ragnar one way or the other by the end of season three, I was getting a little bit bored of that as well. And so this brings me on to another character from the TV series, Athelstan. Now, Athelstan is a monk who is captured at in 793. And uh, he's uh, an interesting character because he's able to bring us into the world of Scandinavia with an outsider's eyes. And he's obviously a Christian man. He's trying to spread Christianity into Scandinavia. And indeed, that thing that's a thing that did actually happen. But it happened much, much later than 793. And actually, Athelstan ends up going native, da -dee da -da, etc. And Athelstan, for a slave, he moves around quite a bit. He goes backwards and forwards between uh, Scandinavia and England a number of times. And the critical thing is that he basically goes to the court of Ethelwolf. Or Ethelwolf. I pronunciation of Anglo-Saxon names is hard to the modern tongue. Uh, so I ask you to bear with me. But if you, you know, if, if you want to watch a proper documentary where they really nail the Anglo-Saxon pronunciations, you know, this is not the place for it. 
And you may say, okay, so he's there in the in in the country of Wessex in southern England, and he's met this king, King Ethelwolf. What's the big deal, Jem? Well, in the TV series, he kind of hooks up with Ethelwolf's younger wife, and uh, they he let me put it this way: he very much breaks his vows of chastity with her, and she very much breaks the wedding vows with him. And uh, anyway, cutting a long story short, uh, Athelstan fades out the picture and she has a baby. And this was another point where I rolled my eyes and went, really? And it turns out they're going to name the baby Alfred. And this is clearly going to become Alfred the Great, except this is all over the place. The really interesting thing about Alfred the Great, and I'm not going to go into Alfred's deeds as an adult, but here's the thing. Here's the list of Ethelwolf's uh, family, his his issue, as it were. So uh, he's got a son called Athelstan, who was king of Kent. There's Ethelswith, the queen of Mercia. Ethelbald, king of Wessex. Ethelbert, king of Wessex. Ethelred, king of Wessex. And Alfred. Now, you might have spotted there. Hang on, he doesn't have the Ethel bit at the front. Ethel kind of means, well, it means two things. Literally, it's where we get the word elf from, because the Anglo-Saxons were quite superstitious. There were all kinds of elves and goblins and trolls all over the place, according to Anglo-Saxon myths and things like that. And But what it also tended to mean is sort of anointed. You are likely to become a king or a prince of some description. But by the time they'd got all the way down to Alfred, number six, by the way, they clearly realized that he was never going to become king. It was highly unlikely. Now, the reason why I mentioned three guys in a row who were king of Wessex, that's Ethelbald, Ethelbert, and Ethelred. That's not Ethelred the Unready. He comes about a century later. That's because... These were the kings of Wessex at the time of that big invading army, you know, 865. So, um, well, some of them seem to have died under suspicious circumstances. Whether Alfred's got anything to do with that, we don't know. Who knows who got them, got rid of them? But in particular, his slightly older brother, Ethelred, did actually die in battle with the Vikings. So Alfred, it's complete fluke that he ended up becoming king of Wessex and actually acquitting himself quite well. So we, we moved around all over the place. The, the final part I want to talk about are these Viking sagas, because that was the thing that made me fall in love with, and indeed makes many people fall in love with the Vikings. But there is a slight problem with them. They are legends, and that's, that's not a problem. Uh, they can certainly tell us a lot about culture, for example. But what most people don't realise is... They, quite a lot of them were recorded for the first time in written form in Iceland uh, round about 1100 AD. You know, give or take. The point is this. By now, you have the Scandinavian civilization Christianized. So there is a legitimate debate to be had. Is this some kind of cleric lovingly writing down the stories that they grew up with, the stories that they know that everybody in the land, you know, could recite almost by uh, off by heart. Is it a true representation of these stories from the pagan past? Or is it a kind of Christianized version where 
everything is so dripping in blood. Everything is so aggressive. You know, the, the dead warriors are carted off to Valhalla by the Valkyries. And if you don't die in battle, you're going to go to hell and all this kind of stuff. It's all, it's all almost a deliberate antithesis of what Christians believe. And is it partly a Christian writer putting this stuff down saying, well, we were quite the barbarians in the past. You know, we're now better than that. Nobody's got a definitive answer for that. Certainly the sheer quantity of information in the sagas, it can't all have been made up by Christian clerics. Um, but exactly how blood-soaked Scandinavia was in, let's say, 800 AD is actually more up for debate than you want. My very last final thought is I have been harsh on Vikings. It's a TV show after all, but I don't like the way that it did start off trying to be quite serious and then got more silly. And because it's an era that I've studied, I could work out where it stopped being realistic. But to other people, I don't know. I don't know how much the average viewer thinks, oh, did this really happen? The one thing I will give them credit for is they there is absolutely nobody with horned helmets. That was an invention by the Victorians. A horned helmet doesn't work in any way. First of all, there are no chroniclers that reference them. There are no archaeological remains that have them. But basically, horned helmets are a stupid idea. Why? Well, let's imagine you have a horned helmet on your head and you don't have a chin strap. So it gives you me, an enemy, a larger target to swing at your, at your helmet. I may miss the helmet, clip the horn, and I've just knocked the helmet off your head and now I can hit you in the head and it'll hurt. Okay, let's imagine you do have a chin strap on, in which case every time I do clip it with my, the horn with my sword, that's going to dig into your chin, or indeed I could just reach out, grab that rather convenient handle, shake your head around, and as you're desperately trying to uh, not be disorientated, again, I can sort of stick a sword in your guts and you're dead. Horned helmets are stupid, they look cool, but they don't actually have any practical purpose on the battlefield. So there we go. Um, we've had dragons, we've had Alfred the Great being far more lucky than great. We've had my slight rant about the Vikings TV series. Thank you very much for listening. As always, keep watching out, there'll be more pop culture history soon. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.